The Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Between the lines, the tram trundles through dusk. Its rumble resounds inside, filling the void, the passenger's silence. There's a young woman with lines on her face, a premature etching. An older lady, her eyes mesmerised by passing terraces. A man whose knuckles are white. His grasp of the hand grip more than matches the vehicle's almost sway. In this capsule of alienation, I've become a displaced breadwinner Depression glued to my forehead. I worry about a mortgage I never had. Education of children I don't have. A face opposite suppresses a wince. People with pain move in the community. Little heroes without medals. Darkness descends on this mobile waiting room. You're on Community Radio 3CR. This is the Spoken Word Program, and I am Santo Katsati. And to open our program today, we heard that rather bleak and tense poem by Filton, who is my guest on the program today. The circumstances of my meeting Filton were slightly bizarre. I knew of him a good 25 years ago. I knew he was involved in progressive politics. Later on, I came to see his name in conjunction with literary events and literary publications on the Mornington Peninsula. Then, in 2012, when the founder of this program and long-time 3CR stalwart Rhonda Jankovic was dying of cancer and desperately trying to complete her book of poetry, she often mentioned this chap called Filton, who was going to publish it and was helping with the editing and presentation. And then, indeed, Rhonda did die, and there was a little memorial event at the Springvale Crematorium, as some people know, Santo Katsati is a stage name, I also have a real name, a legal name, and Rhonda knew me by both names. So when people went through her list of names uh, so as to send out the invitations to the memorial event, I got two invitations, and it was there at Springvale that I actually met Filton. Uh, I think I was introduced to Santo, and he asked something like, and do you know who this Robert Zocchi is? Which, of course, was also me. Um, now, I don't know if I remembered that story exactly right, Filton, but in any case, welcome to 3CR. Thanks, Santo, and I'd say you're spot on. <laughs> Bit of accuracy there. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we are a very accurate station at 3CR. Um, anyway, this program is not about our meeting or our relationship. It's about your poetry and your writing and organisational activity as well. We'll talk more about all that shortly, but please, first of all, another poem. Waiting. Houses with peeling paint conceal old ladies. The sun's glare on cataracts long ago pulled down the blinds. These bastions pocket the suburbs. Weeds and weathered board flout neighbours. Inside, shaking hands spill sugar on splotched benches. Dust smothers the glint of parfait glasses, butter dishes in the crystal cabinet. Outlived husbands spread newspapers on breakfast laminates 
clank spanners from forgotten tool sheds, sent memories on collapsed cushions of favourite armchairs. On the bureau, the yellowed smiles of black and white sons and daughters and the colour prints of grandchildren are bleak. They have scattered to regions beyond the drop-in hello. If meals come on wheels, if carers come to sponge brittle limbs, they are blips in a space measured by daytime light bulbs, pathways in carpet, stalactite curtains. The box in the corner, cranked up to fading eardrums, is their lifeline while waiting for a lifeline. Well, Filton, um, how did you uh, actually get into writing in the first place? I enjoyed poetry as a kid, and um, I never really thought of writing it. And as a young man, I was facing the conscription draft. I went to bed one night with this on my mind, and I'm lying there in the dark and out of nowhere came these couple of rhyming lines. I thought, gee, that sounds like a poem. And so I sat up, turned on the bedside light, wrote them down. I had a pad there, which I just keep there with a pen, and a few more came along, and I sat up there for an hour, and I had a poem. And I showed it to a few people, and they thought, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> so... I only wrote one or two more around that time. Um, in my late 20s, I started just doing a few little bits and pieces for the, you know, on a family occasion and or sending a postcard with a poem on it from travelling. What can I say? I mean, the stuff about, you know, <laughs> go, going against conscription with poetry. I mean, you know, maybe this is the way that we can stop war, you know, with poems. That's That's... The, the I've never heard an answer like that to that question. As you can imagine, I ask that question quite often. So um, uh, how would you describe your actual writing style these days? Because I know it's you know many years since then and you've obviously refined a lot. So how could you describe Filton the poet today? I don't consider myself to have a style. Eclectic is the one-word answer, but um, you're right that my... Writing my poetry has improved over those decades. I'm a lot tighter in what I write now, so I, I do think I've got a tight style. But I, you know, I experiment with visual poems. Uh, sometimes I still write rhyme. Topics, subject matter, they can range from social issues like the conscription thing, but uh, personal issues, things just come to my mind, observations, you know, it's, it's really quite a range. 
Okay then, uh, Filton, give us another poem then. This poem is a tribute to the late Martin Downey, a poet who had been very active in the Melbourne poetry community over many years. He died about ten years ago. And in addition to his memory, and there's a particularly significant legacy of Martin, he donated a trust fund to uh, fund the Melbourne Poets Union Urban Realist Poetry Award, and that continues today. I've called it Urban and Beyond. Martin, you're a poem. The poem of your street, a poem of our pulse. You're a summer Sunday, casting your acorns on the Yarra. Drifting dreams, ours as much as yours. You bowled us with yourself as self, and we grasped, knew, we could be we, too. If our streets don't score, hits, jabs, if our pains are less than gains, if we don't hear those voices so smooth, seducing you, knifing your body parts, tasting your blood, if we don't know, psych ward terror, we heard you, saw you, saw our error, saw where those waiting patients skirting why, deluding we're immune. Your bruised moon glows, laughs, opens closets, ours as much as yours. You're not stuffed like the subject of Flaubert's parrot, that book you wanted to read. Your colour was more Flaubert, our flair of urban realism. You ski without skis, clouds are now your run. Your statue talks, it springs, defies stoplights, wings, rings, sings as Don Giovanni's never has. In touch with our timbres, we chorus with yours. You are hearing the voice and poetry of Filton on 3CR Spoken Word. And that poem we just heard there, dedicated to the late Martin Downey, leads me to ask uh, you, Filton, what is your relationship with other writers? Uh, Because I know you're an editor and you've been involved in publishing. So um, what do you think of other writers? Yeah, well, just thinking about the poem I just read perhaps leads into that because, as is often the case with tributes, I have made allusions to a number of Martin's poems there. Um, And so, you know, I I respect other poets. I've been mixing with them for a long time. Also, um, prose writers. I have had some short fiction published as well. I was very involved with the Melbourne poetry community in terms of going to readings and run a readings for three years myself. But then in about 14 years ago, I moved down to Mount Martha, so I haven't been very active in readings since then. Just a bit too far to go, I guess. We're very lucky to have you up here at um, Collingwood then, <laughs> Fitzroy, or we're on the border. Um, in terms of... Because um, you, you were... Uh, almost directly quoting or alluding to the poetry of somebody else. Uh, and that's in uh, an original work of your own, which nobody can doubt. 
which is what that poem Urban Beyond was. But what about um, when you have a role as an editor or publisher? Um, how much uh, import do you have in terms of uh, affecting the way that the poets that you're editing and publishing present their work? Yes, well, I've got a small publishing outfit, Pulse Publications. I'm very much an occasional publisher. Uh, It's a registered business name, but I just published a few poets here and there, uh, one of my early works also. I discuss a poet's manuscript with them. Um, I wouldn't make any changes without discussing it with them. But they're never changing their work substantially. It's refinements, I would say. All very nice indeed. Um, But this program is primarily about you as a poet, Filton, so uh, let's have a couple more poems of yours. Dragon Down Under Our dragon roars in the summer. It rears on the horizon with many heads. Without eyes, it spots targets, soars across valleys. Its tail has many barbs. Its scale cannot be measured. Our dragon has a taste for eucalypts, a hunger for homes, has devotees who sneak into the bush to trigger the spawning. Our St George has a thousand bodies clad in yellow suits. They wield hoses, tankers, choppers, sizzle in sweat, breathe smoke, taste cinders, forget sleep. And when St George has snuffed the pyre, we know the dragon is a phoenix. Silent Night We munch drumsticks, swill champagne, litter banks on the river where the homeless sleep. We stagger to early clock-off through streets of big-bellied Santas and soup kitchens. Hosannas for the newborn king, chorus the night, as on benches they lie, doorways they slump, where the faithful do not come, angels never sing. Wrists weep in bed sits. Sirens dissonate, convey statistics to the morgue's busiest night. CR Spoken Word is being presented today by Santo Cazzati, that's me, and I'm in the studio with my guest today, Filton. Well, these are a few very short poems. Status. The inner glow of status is just as warm as flatus. Vacuum pastoral. Cultivate cronies and suck, suck, suck. 
I've um, written a series of haikus, which are a potted history of Melbourne. And here's a selection of four of those. Batman with Treaty. Masks. Britmobile. Gold fever. Eroded hills. And brains. Express thoughts from Parliament. Central. To loopy thinking. Jeffrey's formulas. Casino kicks. Annual. Grand Prix. On a more positive note. Healthy. Scientists have proved laughter is good for our health. Serious research, but please laugh. Now, one very individual and distinctive thing about you, Filton, that people have told me of is your solo journey around Australia by bicycle and how that spawned a memorable series of poems. Can you tell us something about that? Yes, I um, had this cycling friend, and um, this is back in the 80s, and we talked about cycling together around Australia. So it became a dream for me, and when he married and settled down and decided he wasn't coming, I thought, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So I did. I was fully self-sufficient, had camping gear, cooking gear, and I went up the East Coast and across the Northern Territory, through the desert and all that. And um, when I got to Catherine, I happened to be staying with a friend and I got a call from a neighbour saying my father had taken seriously ill, so I jumped on a series of planes and came home. But I did write a number of poems and stories which were published based on that ride. Some of them were very imaginative and some stick to the truth and some don't. This uh, poem I'm about to read is remarkably one of those, it's all true. Nowhere is nowhere. I thought 325 kilometres without a building was nowhere. I thought a refreshing beer and a comfy bed were many days ahead. I thought an oasis was a clump of palm trees shimmering in the haze above a sea of sand. I thought bush tucker was a charcoal steak or a can of beans. I thought a royal flush was something the Queen did after farting in public. 200 k's from the nearest roadhouse, I found my oasis. Two lumps in the road which metamorphosed into Frank and Mark, shoveling stones in the potholes. I quaffed the cold tinnies Frank thrust in my hand. I devoured the curry Mark cooked in their caravan. I discovered a different royal flush and won the card game. I celebrated this paradise in the comfort of their spare bunk. I'll never call anywhere, nowhere, again. This next poem is a tribute to my 
late brother who suffered from schizophrenia. Koala therapy. Our campsite could be a McCubbin, your favourite painter. Hopeful escape from your torment. Smoke shimmers above the licks of breakfast's embers. If there's a breeze, the messmates are a shield. The sun dapples through crowns. McCubbin's deft brush has diffused saplings and grevillea amongst the columns. The blackberry is subdued, its alien tentacles constrained by the needlewood thicket. My back against a log, I float wishless. A fleeting disturbance when I glance at you, at your tight squat on the fold-up stool, your eyes, which I know are back in the ward. The antipsychotics only blunt your nightmares. Spat! The fire spurts a puff of ash. Perhaps the morning's last dewdrop has slipped from the overhead leaves. Spat! Spat, 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 spat! We bolt to attention as billows spew from the coals. A tube of liquid descends from nowhere. We jerk our heads upwards. Its source is a koala, plumped across a fork. Our cackles have the kookaburras envious. Your face is a light I haven't seen for years. That koala sure took the piss out of your demons. This is Spoken Word on 3CR, and we're near the end of this program. Our guest has been Filton, who has shared such a variety of pieces of his with us today. Thank you for that. Thank you, Santo. And um, I did want to say, actually, that uh, Filton uh, was instrumental in uh, starting up the Rhonda Jankovic Society for Social Justice in Literature. That includes uh, annual poetry and short fiction awards. Um, on this program, in fact, uh, in the past, um, Filton's tribute to Rhonda Jankovic um, has been broadcast, but it was just a bit too long to come on today. Anyway, uh, just a few community announcements. Um, there are many live poetry gigs that happen in Melbourne. A lot of them have open mics if you'd like to try your hand at sharing your work with others. Uh, and, of course, you can just go to listen. Check out the website, melbournespokenword.com, to find out more about the scene. That's melbournespokenword.com. 3CR Spoken Word is on every Thursday morning, 9 to 9.30, 8.55 on the AM dial. And you can get it on the web at www.3cr.org.au. I remember the way Rhonda used to say that much more slowly than me. She always said that that was a very seductive way of saying it. It tunes people in. Anyway, uh, it's www.3cr.org.au and it's on that very site that you can also find uh, the podcasts of this program. Okay, um, usually at this stage, Santo Cazzati is signing off and shutting down. uh, But on this occasion, I'd like to give the last word to Filton, with one last poem. Buttons and bolts. Mother's button jar is nine inches high on the shelf above the wood stove, and its golden oval label says molasses. And I can even spell that big, big word, but there's no buttons the same colour as those missing from my shirt. Any blue for blue, don't argue. Though the big green ones are for my brother's Robin Hood suit when he loses them in battle and little grey ones for my flies, to keep your dicky bird in place. Stop calling it that! 
the bright red ones would go with my beach shirt. It has many Sydney Harbour bridges printed on it. Wow, the biggest steel arch in the world. Can we go there for our holidays? Chip ones for father's fishing jacket. We can't afford to go to Sydney. Aww. You just remember what Jesus said about the rich man trying to get into heaven. And those shiny pearls with hooks on the back in their own little case are her hope for a daughter. When is she coming? When God decides. How will she come? Oh, you ask your father. And there's a long pin with a pink bulb at one end. It held her hat on her beautiful red hair that turned the heads of all the young men in their smartly pressed suits at Telegarupna's Hall. And I can't spell that, but I know how it sounds. On the night she made her debut. Why do you keep the pearls, not real pearls, dear, in the jar? Because she's part of our family. But she hasn't come yet. One day you will understand. And she kisses me on the forehead, and I feel warm inside. And she takes a purple pom-pom from the jar, and there's a needle in her hand, and her lips pucker to wet the end of the cotton. Take the cotton to the needle, not the needle to the cotton. And looking at the needle's eye, I reckon it's dumb that even without any money we should get through it to heaven. And that pom-pom sewed to the tea cosy looks funny. They're not funny sort of funny. But it fits over the teapot and has a hole for the handle that Father punched on with rivets from his nuts and bolts jar. Father's nuts and bolts jar is nine inches hanging down because its lid is nailed to the bottom side of a shelf over his tool shed bench. And to open it, you turn the jar opposite to normal and you see molses as it comes around each time because the black ink I shouldn't have opened leaked from the sewing machine oil can I tried to pour it into so I could squirt it on my billy cart axles to make them look really black like the underneath of Father's Ute. And I climbed on the bench and put the can on the shelf amongst the bottles and tins where I thought it wouldn't be noticed and it leaked a murky streak over the ledge and down the middle of the golden label. But Father says, since I'm so keen on getting my hands dirty, I can weed his carrots. Good clean work, it never hurt anyone. And he says I'll enjoy it, because I'll be able to see him attaching the new wireless aerial to the chimney. Whoopee, we're going short wave, and it comes from overseas. With these galvanised, which my brother said I can't spell, yes I can so too, brackets he takes from the jar. And it's got bolts, which look long enough to fix a latch on the outhouse door, since the wind blows the rope hook off its nail. And here's a spring clip, which could be screwed to the rail, above the squares of newspaper for wiping our bums, to hold the torch at night, so no more roll into the hole. And I tell him it was great fun watching the torch sink into the watery, lumpy brown sludge, and the beam made it shine so golden, it was much better than how his molasses label ever looked. And it was exciting to see how long the torch would last, and I reckon it got to the bottom before it went out. And he says maybe the torch shouldn't be the only thing to have its bottom tanned. But a smile is creeping up his face. And I start to giggle. And he starts to chuckle. And then I really laugh. And he really laughs. And his hand is on my shoulder as he tumbles wing nuts into his nuts and bolts jar.
And at dinner, father tells how I watched the torch roll across the seat into the dunny can. And my brother's laughter shakes a Robin Hood button into his soup. And even mother giggles. And the kettle guffaws, boiling splats on the stovetop. And pinned to the shelf is mother's sign that her home is clean enough to be healthy and untidy enough to be happy. And above the sign is her button jar with the case of pearls, glistening and waiting for our daughter and sister to come.